welcome to the Bottom Up Revolution podcast, where we share the stories of the Strong Towns movement in action. I'm Rachel Quedno, Program Director at Strong Towns, and today's guest is a member of this movement and leads what we call a local conversation group in his community of Cedar Falls, Iowa. In this interview, Rob Green shares his journey from Coast Guard officer to Neighborhood Association president to mayor. He's passionate about government transparency and accessibility, so much so that he held office hours in the local grocery store to meet with constituents. This discussion gets into the nitty gritty of updating some zoning codes and figuring out government staffing in a mid-sized college town. Mayor Green also shares how he first got connected with the Strong Towns movement, his advice for people feeling disconnected from local decision making, and why you should always carry a notebook. So enjoy the interview with Mayor Rob Green. Mayor Rob Green, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It's good to talk to you today. Thank you, Rachel. It's great to be with you, too. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Strong Towns movement, so it's an honor to be able to be part of the podcast. Can you start by telling us a little about yourself and your earlier years before you ran for office? Sure. So I uh, grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm I'm not a native Iowan, but a very happy transplant here. So I I, uh, grew up uh, very interested in civics and uh, went through the Coast Guard Academy in Connecticut with an undergrad in government and public policy. Uh, Spent a couple years uh, in the Coast Guard up in Alaska and then doing policy work uh, in Washington, D.C., we decided, my wife and I, to, to get out, and, and she's from Waterloo, Iowa, which is sort of our sister city right next door to, to Cedar Falls. So it just happened that uh, when my wife and I got married in D.C., because we had met out there, we passed through Cedar Falls and Waterloo on our way up to Alaska, where I was taking a tour with the Coast Guard. And we saw in Cedar Falls, they were building a brand new public library, and we just really fell in love with the downtown area and thought, boy, someday it would be great to, to move here when we get out of the service. And it turned out it was a year later. <laughs> so just uh, from that time, I uh, couldn't drive ships here in Iowa. There's not a whole lot of uh, ocean rescuing to do. So uh, I, I <laughs> yeah. picked up technology and web development and uh, have, have been a web developer at the University of Northern Iowa here in Cedar Falls for about five years. Um and then uh, during that time, I, I got connected in with my neighborhood association. Uh, I'm a very relational person, so just wanted to, to get to know my neighbors a little better and see what we could do uh, together for like civic work. And uh, I got voted as president of that, so did it for a few years working with City Hall. Uh, and when a seat came open on city council uh, back in 2018, uh, I was recruited to run. And so, so did that and, and won that race spent uh, two years of a four-year term as, a, as an at-large rep, and then just saw some things that I, I didn't see eye to eye on with uh, the, the mayor at the time. And so decided, well, the public needs a choice. So I put forward a different platform uh, than what he was running on and uh, resonated with residents. And so was elected as mayor in January of 2020 or started service then. Uh, so I've been a mayor uh, for a little over a year and a half now, and it's a full-time position, unlike most mayors. So uh, fortunately, with Iowa state law, 
there's a, a provision that says that your employer has to grant you the time off that you need for your elected duties. And in this case, since it's full time, uh, the university just gave me a letter saying, you know, <laughs> come back when you're done. And uh, so now it's, it's great to know I've got that uh, position uh, still waiting for me once the, the mayor time is done. Got it. That's quite a quite a path you've taken. I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about the differences between the the former mayor, you know, not to not to speak ill of them, but just like what what were the differences that you were noticing and and deciding that you wanted to put forth yourself as having having a different approach to things in Cedar Falls? Well, I think probably the 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 biggest in terms of what uh, resonates with strong towns is um, the idea of stability versus growth. And with council as well, it certainly wasn't just the mayor, but, but there was a prevailing view that, that all growth was good and that we wanted to, you know, we were touting our numbers of how much value, new valuation we were having. And, you know, it's, it's good, as, as uh, uh, Chuck Rowan mentions, it's good to have growth, uh, but that shouldn't be a requirement for the success of your city. So the biggest requirement is, is to have a stable community. So I was different there, uh, just in philosophy. Um, and then also, we have um, something in our town, which is really uh, controversial, continues to be a controversy, and that's in our public safety department. The council and the mayor were all in favor of uh, consolidating police and fire and, and working to have single officers who could do both police, uh, law enforcement and fire rescue duties. And so there's, uh, yeah, it's a big part of this election, since I'm up for re-election this November, it's a big question again um, of what the city wants to do going forward. And uh, I think it, it, it ties in a bit with uh, uh, the Strong Town's view of, of efficiency and, and where you might need some margin. And my view from, from being a Coast Guard officer and from seeing um, you know, emergency response at the federal level and, and uh, uh, what it looks like good and bad, I just I, I don't think I'll ever change from the idea that um, and, and you know certainly you can try to be as efficient as possible in government services and you should, but public is that one area where redundancy is more important than efficiency. So I want us to have a little margin and have um, the ability to to have specialists in in our positions. Uh, here in the city. So, so I, I certainly support cross-training uh, and allowing uh, police officers to learn some firefighter duties, but I think trying to have a one-size-fits-all uh, or, or uh, one, one person dedicated to two separate career paths, I, I think just isn't really sustainable. So I ran against him on that, and that probably was the, the main reason I got elected, uh, was people dissatisfied with that model and, and turning out to the polls in droves. Now, just working through those conversations, and, and we've got a very, probably going to be a very sporty uh, city council race and, and mayor race this time around to continue addressing that topic. And you said you're running, um, you're up for election again this November. So that seems like a pretty short term, just two years. That's like quite a fast paced time in office. Yeah. And especially for these two years. I, I don't know if I've done much that a, a mayor would normally do, like the kinds of functions, since it's so much been uh, based around COVID and having restrictions um, on, on the events that we can do and the activities. So it's been kind of a surreal time, but I it's funny when people tell me, man, it must be hard to be a mayor during COVID. I just say, 
I wouldn't know. Like, I don't know what it's like to be a mayor not in COVID. <laughs> yeah, right. You only had just a couple months there before everything um, got crazy. Right. It was about two months and that was all winter months. So nothing was going on anyway. Yeah. So what are some of the biggest challenges um, that you see Cedar Falls facing right now or over the last couple of years that you've been in office and how are you working on addressing them? Oh, certainly. Well, some of the challenges are the kind of deep-seated things that that I think a lot of towns go through, especially when they're smaller towns um, that are that are growing. And um, Cedar Falls has a population of about forty thousand. We've been fairly stable, but but you know, trending somewhat upward. Uh, we have a, a university population of about uh, eight thousand to nine thousand students um, through the University of Northern Iowa, and so. One of the challenges has been just trying to to move into being more of a professional city where, you know, in small towns, you can kind of get away with arbitrary decisions and and something that I wanted to do um, as mayor this and I've been successful at is taking our board and commissions process from from being something where the mayor appoints someone they know to to planning and zoning, maybe with the recommendation of a council member or staff. Um, to now, I've I've changed it so I'm basically out of the process as mayor up until the point that a selection committee provides me three good solid candidates to vet, and so they rank order them one one through three, and I'll interview the top their top candidate, and if I don't have any red flags, then I appoint them, and and I think it's so important in our cities to standardize processes and to make it so it's very transparent of how people are particularly being appointed to boards and commissions, since those are such important um, decision makers for the city. Um, So that's what I'm really proud of, of having that process in place. And it's working well. Um, Some of the other things that we're we're dealing with is um, we, uh, as as a city council, we decided back in 2018 and 2019 to update our zoning laws. With our our zoning plan, uh, we had when I when I came on council a site plan that came forward to city council where a developer wanted to put up a five-story building and the ground floor was going to be commercial and the upper four floors were residential and by the way our zoning laws were written uh, that would be considered a, a commercial building and so there was good because the the prevailing sense from staff the way they interpreted the zoning laws was Whatever the, the ground floor was of the building, that was the main use. And it was one of the first decisions I had to make as a city council member was, was voting on this, whether to approve it or not. And I just couldn't see that, uh, you know, if the developer had wanted to put up 10 stories or 15 story building and still have the ground floor only being um, uh, commercial, that he wouldn't have to park any of the cars. There would be no legal requirement. And so I voted it down uh, and, and the project didn't pass. But my concern, it wasn't for the, the project itself. It was for the fact that the zoning laws didn't allow for that kind of building. And so now um, we did put in the code uh, a mixed use building uh, definition, but that was still just a Band-Aid on our existing zoning, which had, had been written and put in place back in 1970. So uh, the council decided they wanted to have a new um, zoning uh, law built out. And we uh, have gone through with a uh, consultant, uh, uh, Farrell Madden out of DC, to help us um, through 
charrettes and through uh, community conversations and workshops to figure out what we would want our downtown zoning to look like, as well as our College Hill area, which is the area right around our college campus. It's like a mini downtown. So to see how we wanted that to look. And I've been so excited about that because the way that that the development um, pattern would move forward then is incremental growth. And certainly that's a a strong or a big strong town's principle of of wanting to ensure that developers by right can move to the next incremental phase in a neighborhood, but only to the next incremental phase. So not like totally changing the neighborhood overnight, but allowing um, wealth to build and allowing um, incremental growth in, in hopefully eventually all areas of the city. It's great to hear someone get excited about zoning codes. Like they're so important. <laughs> they shape what we, you know, the city that we live in, but also, you know, it's, uh, they're not the most thrilling thing for a lot of people, but, but really until, important. Yeah. Until you can, you can paint it as how this will affect actual people, that it's not just square footage. And, and, and another thing with the, the zoning um, changes is it'll include as, as it's, primarily form-based code and, and allows some new types of uh, buildings and development. We're now looking at, at uh, if it's approved, we'll have the ability to add in cottage courts in an area. Um, if, if somebody has a garage that uh, uh, they want to add on to uh, as a second level, will uh, this new zoning will allow for accessory dwelling units, which I think will be fantastic for, for giving some additional affordable housing options in our community. Um, so it's, yeah, I, it's a great plan and no, no plan's perfect, of course, but uh, I think that with this, like we have our first hearing on September 7th uh, and then two readings after that as well to approve the ordinance changes. And uh, my, my hope is that uh, we'll get a, a council majority of support for it and we'll just try it out, like get our first instance in place, get a few buildings up and, and changes and then make the tweaks to it that we need. Being someone that's been involved with Strong Towns for a while, you probably know that this conversation around like community engagement and how do people in leadership um, really listen to residents and um, meet their needs and, and get to know them as people. Um, this is like a big part of our, our ongoing conversation. So I'm curious how you as a mayor um, make sure that you're listening to um, the people that live in your town and especially during COVID when like public meetings haven't been as frequent or able to happen in, in the volume that they, that they might normally happen. Like, how have you been able to keep connecting to residents and um, getting to know people and, and their needs and concerns? Yeah, well, that has been such a challenge these last two years. Uh, before that, when I was on council, I really enjoyed having uh, office hours with uh, within the city. So hi, our, our local grocery store, Hy-Vee, had a, uh, or still has a, uh, a cafeteria area that is very ne- very close to the sort of the trafficked area as people come into the store. And so I would uh, advertise ahead of time that I'd be um, at the College Square Hy-Vee for two hours. And it just happened that that was, it was on Wednesday night. So I dropped my kids off at youth group at church and then uh, spend two hours at Hy-Vee um, with my sign up that was uh, uh, like a framed picture that, that said, talk to your city council rep. And I had very few takers on it, <laughs> but I also uh, got so many good responses from uh, residents saying that they were glad I did it. And they're, I think they were assuming that other people were coming to talk to me. So I was like, oh, I don't want to bother him if he's already getting a lot of conversation. But 
it was it wasn't the case, but I still did it because I knew people were glad I was there. And then I'd also bring a book or bring other things to do, so it was certainly time well spent. Um, so that uh, not being able to do that very well on COVID has meant um, I've been focusing a lot more on uh, neighborhood block parties. Um, oh, cool! Yeah, and and that's something that uh, I've been so uh, encouraged to see our our neighborhoods really take on um, the the sort of post COVID desire to uh, to get together with their neighbors and, and kind of get out and connect more. So in January. I, uh, since I can issue proclamations, I did a proclamation for 2021 as the year of the neighborhood. And uh, at the city level, I asked staff to think about ways that we could either make um, connecting easier for residents or find ways to to better connect residents directly with each other. And um, so we uh, we're really fortunate to have uh, uh, the local um, performing arts center, the Gallagher Blue Dorn Performing Arts Center. They um, sponsored or, or, or put together a program of musical events, uh, local musicians. Uh, they built a stage and they would cart it around and they would they would host and connect with the neighborhood associations to do uh, neighborhood block parties with live music and uh, just as a chance for, for uh, some fun and for neighbors to know each other outdoors. So it was nice and uh, still a little, little more COVID friendly to, to not be uh, inside for that. Um, and we, so we got to celebrate local talent as well. So those were very re- well received. And that happened uh, more than a, a dozen times here in uh, Cedar Falls and Waterloo. Um, and so I'm hoping that that continues. But at those events, it's been great for, you know, just wearing my name tag and, and milling about. I would hear so much from residents. And, and I think they, they appreciated that I brought my uh, moleskin notebook too. And I would you know, make sure to write down phone numbers and issues and, and items and get back to that. And so I would, I would encourage anybody who's elected, uh, who's listening to make sure that you invest in a, a hardbound uh, notebook and bring a pen with you and always have that to write notes down. Because I've had so many times where I've talked to my elected reps in the past and I get some head nods and I think, okay, is this going to go anywhere? So at least if you have a book, people are more confident that you're you're going to take action. Yeah, that's good advice. So I'm curious, how did you get involved with Strong Towns in the first place? Um, if you remember, like the the first time you heard about Strong Towns, and then what led you to decide to become a member and, and be like part of this movement? Okay, well, Rachel, the the biggest thing for me was getting started was as a neighborhood association president, seeing that. Our, our uh, main street uh, going east and west, that was a, uh, is a, also a state highway, it was four lanes, and, and I was seeing the design plans as a neighborhood association president that they wanted to expand it to five lanes, and we, we had uh, along those, even though it's a highway, there's lots of driveways, there's lots of side streets, and so I thought, man, there this must be an issue in other cities too. And there must be people who are concerned about building roads that are also acting like streets. So I did a Google search and then the term strode came up and I got hooked into that article. And I thought, these people are speaking to me. <laughs> That's so, great. Yeah. Not the first to come to strong towns through the strode door for sure. Right. Right. And so from that, uh, I started looking at other articles, too, uh, from probably 2016, 2017, and uh, 
some of the articles that really spoke to me also were uh, the idea of building to a finished state, because I've, I have thought about that often with my own house. Um, if, if anybody's uh, looking at Google, my, my street address is, is public knowledge, is 314 Olive Street in Cedar Falls. Um, and you can see that in our neighborhood, um, there, it's, it's a very traditional neighborhood, came up in about the ni- early 1900s uh, on a grid pattern. And the houses are, many of them are uh, Victorian style or have the big front porch out front and lots of trees. And, and I, I love the fact that my house, when we bought it in 2004, had a pretty good sized backyard and a, a sort of a flat back to the, the building. And because it was set that way, once we, uh, my wife and I had kids and, and we saw that our, our house space was a little small, we didn't have to move. We just added on to the back of the house. And so they did that back in 2010. And when I saw the articles about uh, building to a finished state and, and the concerns about having houses where even the architecture and, and the, the spacing on the land doesn't really, allow, on some of these newer houses, it doesn't allow you to, um, to grow out or to build the, the value of that home. You're basically stuck with what you have. Unless yeah, you can't adapt. Inside, right. So that that really um, resonated with me, and and it, it's been great with strong towns. That as much as I've been an observer and kind of a, an urban philosopher uh, these past many years, from from my time in the Coast Guard and living in lots of different cities and seeing how things work, I've I've noticed things that. As I've, I've I read the articles, and then and especially after uh, the Strong Towns book came out, it was all sort of helping to validate some of the things that I'd already seen and some of the concerns I already had. Uh, the Strong Towns book, if if uh, any, I can't imagine anybody who's listening to your podcast hasn't already bought it, but um, it's it, it wasn't until I read through um, the book that all those different articles and the, the little pieces of the puzzle really fit together to form like a, a cohesive story. And I'm, I'm so glad that Chuck did that for us to um, uh, just condense the, the basics of, of what uh, his drive is and what the Strong Towns drive is into um, a, a, a single narrative. It's been fantastic. Yeah, that's great to hear. You've talked a lot about like how Strong Towns approach and concepts have influenced your your work as mayor. So it's it's cool to see that in action. And I know we have a lot of other elected officials um, listening and who are part of this movement too that are that are inspired by Strong Towns principles. So that's that's the work. That's people out there doing it. It's great. Yeah, and I'll admit the you know the first, especially in the Strong Towns book, the first couple of chapters are very straightforward and, and easy to understand. And I agree with, I get to the middle when it really gets into the finances and the economics and I, I have to struggle a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then toward the end again, it, it gets into this uh, with his intentional life chapter, it gets into why these things are important and, and completely agreeing with that gives me more incentive to dig back into those tough middle chapters. Um, but I also really uh, uh, have enjoyed the videos that, that uh, Strong Towns has put out and have shared those. Uh, and that most recent one I saw about the land value tax with uh, the other the speculator named Chuck. Um, which, it was just so simple, but so uh, uh, clear and understandable 
of, of why, you know, maybe we need to rethink how we do property tax because we're not getting the kind of results that we want. Yeah, I'll reshare that video for people. That one's a, a few years old, but it's a good one. So I always um, close out by asking guests on the show, what advice do you have for others who might be listening that want to take a step to make their town stronger, whether they are, you know, maybe starting to join their neighborhood association or even starting to run for office? What's like a good first step for people? Sure. Well, I, I recommend um, if, if you have a service club in your, your area, join that. Because, uh, it could be Rotary, it could be Exchange, uh, Lions Club, um, Optimists. There are um, a number of organizations out that are made up of your neighbors. And um, those, the, the kinds of things that, that uh, they typically get involved in are, are community issues. And so you'll have a, a pre-built way to connect in with the needs of your city. Um, also, uh, I'd, I'd encourage the listeners that, you know, for, for me, I um, have, a, have a really strong interest in civics. I'm not um, politically a firebrand in any way, actually registered no party. I want residents to feel like this is their government and that we're representing them. And there's just, there's so much cynicism about government services and oh, the government doesn't represent me. They're off on their own looking out for themselves. But um, if, if that's actually true in your community, it's going to stay that way until people who are like-minded like you want to change it or are willing to get in and change it. And it takes time. You, you, can't, you can't change a culture overnight. But um, I, would, I would hope that uh, people here, like if they, if they really are uh, passionate about uh, building up American prosperity in their, their communities, that they, they do their homework, uh, build a message, and, and make it relatable to your town of how these kinds of principles affect your city. And just to feel confident that it doesn't take um, elite people to, to serve as elected officers. We're looking for people with an open mind. Um, people who are willing to to do some research and, and maybe even to question their own assumptions from time to time, um, and that just have a heart for trying to do what's best for everyone, and and it, it doesn't take a a PhD or um, a fancy title in your day job to be able to do that. I mean, I'm a web developer. I love being a web developer. That idea, going back to sort of the founding of the, the country of of people who are farmers and lawyers and they go into elected service and then they go back to their day jobs. I, I think that's what will really help America to, to prosper in the future is, is just regular residents feeling like they have a place uh, in, in helping to make the decisions of our community. Yeah, that's so well said. Yeah, thank you. Well, Mayor Rob Green, it's been a pleasure to talk with you. Um, really appreciate you taking the time to come on this show. Um, where can people go if they want to find updates from you or, or more information? Um, are you on on any social media outlets or your, mainly your website? Oh, sure. And I, I hear that, that social media, some people complain that it's such a divider and it's, such, um, it's just a negative force. But I found that, that doing it properly, um, you can have a, a great reach and a great impact. And you have to be willing. It's kind of a tough skin. Uh, people are going to complain. Uh, they're going to uh, sometimes say things that aren't true. <laughs> but uh, that's why you know it, it takes 
good engagement to, to uh, and facts and citations and information, uh, you can really turn people around sometimes. And there's some that you can't, and that's fine too. For me, I do it through uh, a Facebook page that's, that's uh, um, dedicated to the mayor office. And then I also have a separate campaign page. And I try to keep the two things separate because I know some people who follow my mayor page don't really want to <laughs> donate or actually don't even support me. They just want to know what I'm doing. So uh, I have the two separate pages and you can find them uh, if you just do a Google or a, a Facebook search for Rob Green Mayor. I'm sure both will pop up. Um, and then I also have a website that I've just been collecting uh, blog posts and information over the years. Uh, and particularly whenever I, uh, on council, I had to make a big decision and it was controversial. I always tried to write out why I came to the, the conclusion I did and what information I had available for doing it. And residents have loved that. Um, and that's at robgreeniowa.com. Got it. Well, we'll share those links with folks. And uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. It was great to talk with you. Thank you, Rachel. I hope to meet you in human sometime. Me too. I wanted to let you guys know that we are hiring. We have three positions open currently. The first is a full-time development associate focusing on grants and major donors. The second is a content manager position. This person will be um, helping run and plan our content as well as doing a lot of writing. And then finally, we have a part-time contract-based lifestyle columnist position. And this is an invitation for someone who's interested in writing a weekly column for Strong Towns about life in your neighborhood. So we're excited to be inviting folks to join our team. Um, we have a very unique application process here, so I encourage you to head to strongtowns.org slash employment to learn more about this position, the process, etc. But important to note, the development associate position, um, the applications are going to be closing on Sunday, October 3rd. The initial application is literally just giving us your email address, and then we will send you the next part of the process. So you need to get us your email address in that form on the employment page by October 3rd. The other two positions are gonna close that initial application on uh, Sunday, October 10th. And again, that's just giving us your email address to tell us you're interested. We are going to be holding a couple of info sessions where you can ask your questions about each of these positions. The info session for the development associate position um, already took place. But the video is going to be shared with um, anyone who applies. So if you apply now, you can still uh, benefit from that. And then our info session for the lifestyle columnist and content manager positions. That session is going to be held on Tuesday, October 5th at 1 p.m. Central. And again, all this info is on our employment page, strongtowns.org slash employment We hope that you apply. And also please share this with people that you think might be a good fit, even if that person is not you. I'm really excited because it's always cool to get new colleagues uh, who are passionate about the Strong Towns mission. And if you apply for the content manager position and get it, I will be a supervisor. So that's maybe good or bad, depending on where you're at. Hopefully a good thing though. As always, we extend our thanks to Strong Towns members 
Um, you heard from Mayor Green, the power of this movement is transformative. It transforms communities. And if you're like Mayor Green and you have started to get engaged, you've started to get passionate about Strong Towns, join as a member that really supercharges everything we're doing and everything that you're doing. Um, we surveyed our members last year now. We should probably do another one soon. But last time we surveyed our members and also a selection of our audience that is not members, we consistently saw across the board that on all sorts of types of actions, whether it's choosing who to vote for, whether it's volunteering, whether it's joining a local board, on all these sorts of types of action, members consistently indicated that they are more active. They are doing more in their community. They're stepping up more. Um, so if that's you, please join us as a member. It's sort of like a cycle. You, you join in and you start to get more plugged in and it really supercharges everything that you're doing. And your financial support supercharges what we're doing so that we can help reach even more people. Thank you. If you're a member, you guys rock. All right, that's our show for today. I look forward to chatting with you all next week on the next episode. Take care. Thank you.